Are you looking forward to Jesus coming back? Think about it. Think about it for just a minute. You know, there used to be a lot of clamoring about the second coming of Christ. I remember when I started out the ministry, well, when I, when I told people I was going to preach on the second coming of Christ, say during a revival meeting, that's the night the place would just be packed out. Before I moved here, I was still preaching a lot of those revival meetings, week-long revival meetings, and when I announced I was preaching on the second coming, it wasn't even the largest crowd anymore. So what's happened even since that time? Well, first of all, you had all kinds of books written about, about it, remember? Uh, Hal Lindsey's book, the last one, big one, was Countdown to Armageddon in the 1980s. Well, Jesus didn't come back in the 1980s. And many people, in fact, 242 people have predicted the exact time and date that Jesus would come back, and he never has come back. The last one to do so uh, back in 2012 was a fellow by the name of Harold Camping. And he owned 55 radio stations, advertised there, and also on 6,000 billboards. And that May 21st, 2011, was going to be the day that Jesus was coming back again. And I'm here to share with you it was not. All right? Just in case you were wondering. And so you, you're kind of skeptical. And also, all the things that are going on in your life, and you think to yourself, well, I don't know about Jesus coming back. I've got so much to do here. I've got so much to leave behind. What about my kids? What about marriage? I don't want him to come back before I get married, right? I don't want him to come back before I have kids. And so we go through this mental gymnastics, and you wonder, why is it that the people in the Bible were looking to the second coming of Jesus Christ as being something they really wanted? And then, if you think about it, just for a moment, you're kind of wondering, do you really long for him to come? Again, Well, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus has just spoken to the Pharisees again about the seven woes because of their hypocrisy, really their self-righteousness. He pronounced seven woes impending judgment upon them. Then at the end of this, he says in verse 39, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So he's predicting here, I'm coming back again. And so as we look at this passage, here's what I want us to look at this morning. First of all, is he coming back? Second of, all, second of all, when is he coming back? Then when he returns, uh, what's going to happen? Fourthly, why should we long for his return? I think that's the question of the day. And then how should we respond? And so these five questions, I know we're going to be at this the next four weeks, and you're thinking, man, you're going to cover all the bases. No, just the first 31 verses in chapter 24. I first of all want us to see, ask the question, is Jesus Christ coming back again? Are you longing for Jesus? Is he coming back? Notice in verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples had come to the point uh, out to him about the buildings of the temple. Now, he'd already talked about destroying the temple and building up in three days, talking about his own body, the resurrection. And he answered them, you, will, you see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And he said on the Mount of Olives. Now, this is called the Olivet Discourse because he preached all this on the Mount of Olives. And he says, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? You know, this is something here, you've got to notice here. All the way through the book of Matthew, they're always saying, oh, you know, we want to sit at your right hand when the kingdom comes. They're expecting the kingdom right then. 
They didn't see in the Old Testament there's two roles of Jesus. He comes the first time as a suffering servant to die on the cross. Second time he comes as the coming king. They were looking for the coming king, not the suffering servant. And now they're kind of wondering, well, all this stuff he's saying about dying, when are you coming back again? You say you're going, but when are you coming back? They're starting to get it just a little bit. And they're asking a question. You're talking about all these things at the end. When is the end coming? Well, 30 times in the New Testament, Jesus Christ says he's coming back again in some form. He says that in some form. I shouldn't say he's coming back in some form. He said it in some form, okay? And then 23 out of 27 books in the New Testament talk about it. In fact, the book of Revelation is all about it. First, first second Thessalonians is all about that. Second Peter is all about the second coming of Christ. And it's sprinkled in through almost every book of the New Testament. There are over 300 references in the Bible to the second coming of Christ. And so if you believe the Bible at all, you've got to say, okay, he's coming back again. According to the Bible, he's coming back again. Why? I'm going to give you this list real quick. To receive his church, to restore Israel to its proper place. Listen to this. This is going to be important in this message. To make all things right. You're talking about justice in the world? He's coming for justice to make all things right. To destroy the to evil, number four. Number five, to recreate or create a new heaven, a new earth where we can live with him forever. He's coming. There's two things we know. One, he's coming back. And the second one is in my second point. When is he coming back again? Well, again, we know two things. One, he's coming back. Number two, we cannot know when he's coming back. We don't know. We can't know. Look in verse 36. I know this is part of the message next week, but it says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, Jesus said, not even the angels in heaven, not the son, but the father only. And so if Jesus, while he was least here on earth, did not know when he was coming back again, Harold Camping cannot know. Neither can any other human being know when he's coming back. We don't know the day. We don't know the time. So we can be ready all the time, but Jesus gave us the times and the seasons so we could be a little prepared along the way. What did he say? Look with me in verse 8 as I skip around just for a moment before I go through the passage. And all, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. The birth pains. What is he, what is he referring to here? Well, when a baby is born, the birth pains begin to start. And the closer, the closer the baby is to being born, the worse the pain. So I'm told. <laughs> I don't know. You know, the, you know the old joke, you know, if every family, um, if men, men had every other child, no family would have more than three kids, you know. But anyway, I don't know anything about that, but the Bible does. And the, you ladies do, the closer the birth comes, the worse the pain gets. Now, here's what he's saying. In verses 3 and following through 14, he's talking about a place in the Bible, in the book of Revelation. It's going over there. In fact, the book of Revelation really gets a lot. You see a lot of information from Matthew 24 and the book of Revelation. What is the book of Revelation all about? It's about the last three and a half years before Jesus comes back. 
Now, we'll look at this timeline in just a few minutes, but you have the rapture. I believe that you have the rapture of the church. The church is gone. We'll come back to that in just a moment. There's seven years of what what we refer to sometimes as this tribulation period. But the first three and a half years are an an interlude. Uh, They're an interim period where the Antichrist begins to gain control, where people are, are weeping and and people are recovering from the rapture. I mean, after all, there's so many people that are going to be missing on the earth. And then the last three and a half years is the book of Revelation, where the bowls of, uh, rather, bowls of wrath and where the, the scroll in Re- Revelation chapter 5, in fact, the, the people in heaven, John is up in, the, uh, up in, uh, in heaven in a, in a trance or in a, in a vision. And he's looking at the throne of God. And they said, they pulled out a scroll and the scroll was, Basically, what was going to happen in the end times? Who is worthy to take the scroll? Who is worthy to open the scroll? And they said, well, we can't find anybody. But then, of course, in the dramatic portion of, of Revelation 5, it says Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, they call him, comes forth and takes the scroll from the Father's hand and begins to open it up. And the Bible says there are seven seals, conquest, war, famine, death, hell, martyrdom, the great day of his wrath. And then they begin to slowly open the scroll. And you begin to find out what happens in the end times. This is what the signs are. Now keep in mind this. All of a sudden, you don't have the rapture and then three and a half years of interlude. And suddenly, boy, all these signs come up out of nowhere. No, the birth pains get worse and worse and worse. So whatever the signs are in the last three and a half years before Jesus actually touches down on the Mount of Olives, whatever those signs are, they're going to be in the last generation leading up to those three and a half years. Now, what are those signs? Notice with me in verse 4. And Jesus answered, see that no man leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will lead many astray. Religious deception false prophets, false doctrine. Today, we look at our, our world and see, well, the good is being called evil and the evil good. I never thought I would come to a, a time where moral issues would become so political. In fact, right now, I believe that maybe not in America yet, but close to it, we could see pastors, well, actually, we've had a few uh, extre- more on the extreme side, but pastors dismissed for their beliefs about the Bible. Why would they do that? Well, it's not that all of a sudden you you hate the pastor, but rather, man, you go to work and, and, oh, you belong to that church? Doesn't your pastor believe this? Well, yeah, yeah, he preached on that a few weeks ago. All of a sudden, people start leaving the church. And the elders or the deacons and, or personnel committee, man, they get together and they think, what are we going to do? Well, we got to dismiss this guy. We're, We're not going to have a church left. We need to find a pastor that'll preach on some of the Bible, even most of the Bible, but not all the Bible. We don't want to belong to a church like that. We're seeing false prophets rise up among us. Then we also find wars and rumors of wars. Look in verse 6. You hear wars and rumors of wars. See to it that no one is alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. He says, you're going to see these things coming up, but it's not going to be the only sign. Not the only one. We're going to find out next week. Not the only one. They're all going to come together. And we know that one in four nations today are in some kind of conflict. 268 years of peace have been in the last 4,000 years. And the war is really centering around 
Jerusalem today, which we look in verse 15. It says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. What's it talking about here? It's talking about the start. In the middle of the three and a half years, to start this tribulation period, the Antichrist will declare himself to be the Messiah. He will do something to desecrate the altar of God. And people will come and flock to worship him. Daniel prophesied this. The king of Syria, way back in the years and thousands of years ago, did that with pig's blood on the altar. And that's what it's drawing that from. Just like the king of Syria, you will see the Antichrist do that. And things begin to happen. But look, he says, the nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. We know about famine all throughout the world. What about earthquakes? Before the first of the 11th century, there were only 20 earthquakes. Between the 11th and 18th century, 67 earthquakes. In the 1900s, all during the 1900s, 100 earthquakes. But since 2010, there have been over 6,500 earthquakes somewhere in the world. Somewhere at some level. And so we look. And we see even the fourth seal is broken in, in the book of Revelation. That's famine, earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. But then you will deliver to tribulation and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. The persecution, the, the open doors ministry was one of the, the best ministries in our, in our world of ministering to those who are being persecuted, said, has said to us and in, in writings to us, that have, they've said the world now is persecuting Christians more than any other time in history. It's all over. We can see it in India just a few weeks ago when Rod Gilbert was here, and he really had a concern and a fear, I felt like, in his own heart for his nation of India because of the persecution and the church having to go underground. We see that in China. We see that in the Muslim countries. We see that in America to a lesser extent. As well, I mean, people trying to ban the Bible from schools and government, and what is that all about? I mean, who believes it anyway, right? I mean, if you don't believe it, then it's a harmless book. If it has no power, if this book has no power, it's just harmless. Why ban it? I don't see them banning Harry Potter's book, books. Well, he didn't write them actually, but you know what I'm saying. Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis, see, I know that one. I don't see these books being banned, but this Bible's being banned. And then it also says an apostasy. Verse 10, when many folks will fall away, betray one another, hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. We have several things going on here. One of the things very recent are the Duns. You ever heard of the Duns? D-O-N-E-S? Those who are just done with church. Oh, we love Jesus, but we're just done with church. Usually, people, 40s, 50s, 60s, why? Well, they were going there. Can I say this? Okay, thank you very much. You gave me permission. They, they maybe started here or at a, at a church like this because they know their children need the gospel. But when their, their children are gone... They weren't here for the right reasons anyway, and they just leave. They're done. They're done 
with organized religion. All I know is I love, I like organized religion a lot better than disorganized religion. Don't you? Sure. But the Duns, and what about the health and wealth gospel? You know about that. And what about the churches that are saying, well, look, we're, we're here. We're here for the person who doesn't like church. We, we're here for the, the lost people that are not comfortable with the, with, with the typical church service. And listen, I have no problem with that at all. I, I really don't. I, really, I mean, I don't think that you, we ought to talk things like, okay, uh, we just had our GIC, and the WMU is going to meet with the GAs and the RAs. I mean, you know, just church language. I don't have a problem with how people dress in the pulpit or what, if they want to shave their head and identify with people in the pew. I, I just don't have, I don't have a problem with words on the screen. I just, I think it's all a good thing. And you say, well, we don't take up an offering. We, we sort of have kiosks in the back and things. I, I'm fine with that. I really am. But how far do you go? When your community looks at you and says, we don't believe that what you believe. In fact, one guy has come out and said, and he's right, the world doesn't believe the word of God. They don't believe. When you say the word of God, it means nothing to them at all. I agree with that. A lot of times that's true. So what do you do? Well, you just keep preaching the word of God, which he does. But you keep preaching the word of God. You just maybe say a reference to a book. You know, Timothy says this, Paul says this. I don't have a problem. But boy, when you compromise the Bible the way so many churches have, so we're not preaching on this. We're not going to preach on that. The Greek word doesn't mean this. The Hebrew word doesn't mean that. And you see a great falling away of the church. It's happening now in the most churched, probably the most churched country in the world, the one you live in. There's an apostasy. But then there's, because of that, there's a lawlessness. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. We have a hatred. Weak doctrine brings about things that goes on, go on in our country from the heart, hatred, shootings. Everybody has an alarm system, right? Because you're worried about the crime around you. Then he says in verse 13, but the one who endures during the tribulation period to the end will be saved. Now, endurance always is a sign of salvation. Verse 14, this is the good news. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations, and then the, the end will come. Now, the end's not going to come. You say, well, there you go. Second coming of Jesus is not going to come until the gospel preached throughout the world, and we've got six, seven, what, six, seven billion people or so in the world, a billion of them almost haven't even heard the gospel. Well, they're fast hearing it. But you need to understand that this is a sign of the end times in the last three and a half years. In the last three and a half years, the Bible says, there's going to be 144,000 Jews anointed by God along with two big-time witnesses that are going to finish evangelizing the world. And we're getting close to the point where we see that being ushered in. And it's our commission to bring that closer and closer and closer to fruition. Well, we see the signs of the times, but what's going to happen when he returns? In verse 15, we talk about the abomination of desolation. But then he says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. This is when the tribulation begins. I mean, it's just started. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back, take his cloak. 
And last, for the women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that their flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. And then there will be a great tribulation, as such not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, not, and will never be. And in those days, if they were not cut short, no human being would be saved. And what we're talking about here is a salvation of death, not a salvation for eternal life. You'd be saved from death. But for the sake of the elect, those days were cut short. Verse 27, for as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So what's going to happen? How do you know? You say, Pastor, how do you know that it's only going to be three and a half years? All this just lasts three and a half years. The Bible tells us. The book of Daniel, chapter 12, Daniel asked the angel, how long is this going to last? And he says, time. In Hebrew, that's one year. Times. In Hebrew, that's two years. Half times, that's a half year. How long? Three and a half years. Even, even numbers the days. Three and a half years where the Antichrist will reign supreme. So look, look at our chart that we have up here. First of all, you have the creation of man. And then the Old Testament period. Not drawn to scale here. Cross. Jesus died on the cross. He rose again on the third day. The Holy Spirit came, come, comes down from heaven and acts. And so the church age begins. And the next thing on God's calendar, a big thing, is the rapture of the church. And that's when we're all caught up. The Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the air. The rapture of the church takes place. And let me say this. There is nothing, based on the fact that we've got seven years after this happens during the tribulation period, there is absolutely no sign that has to happen that the rapture has to wait. It could happen now. It could happen today, even as I'm preaching. It could happen before the end of the service. That's how many signs have really been fulfilled. Then the second coming of Christ. That's when he, now the rapture, the Bible says we're caught up together with him in the clouds. The second coming, he actually lands on the Mount of Olives. Then the new heaven and earth, new earth, and we live with him for eternity. This is, this is the end times. Now, how should we respond to that? I mean, what, what does it mean, I should say? Why should we long for Jesus to come back? Why should we even care? I mean, after all, we've got enough problems going on here right now. Uh, let's look down at verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with glory and great, or power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a cloud, with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Look with me in verse 30. He will come with the clouds. It says with power and great glory. Now, what's it saying here? Now, we get the picture of Jesus coming through the clouds or around the clouds. or He brings the clouds here are symbolic and he's bringing the clouds with him, the clouds of power and the clouds of glory. He's bringing his glory to the earth. He's bringing his majesty to the earth. In fact, the word used for the second coming, parousia, is a word that also means presence. 
He's coming with his presence. You and I can get excited about a devotional life or coming to church and and having a great experience. We're talking about an experience with God every single day. He comes with his glory. Then we also, he comes to make things right. We'll talk about this another time in the scripture. But he comes to make things right. We, We cry out for justice and we try to force it. I mean, notice that no one's telling you you have to give to the missions offering in order to become a member of this church. You don't even have to tithe to the normal budget to be, belong to this church. It's, it's voluntary. You can't force something. But God comes, and this life is not fair, but God is fair, and he's going to make all things fair. And he does it through judgment. But he also does it in reward as well. And he comes to make justice in the world. But then, he also comes conquering pain, sorrows, griefs, evil, darkness, sin. But why not the USA? Why not America? Why is it that we, as a general rule, do not look forward to Jesus coming back the way many people have over the, over the years? It's because, I think, of our opportunities. This is a place of opportunities, a place of freedom, it's a place of finances. We are an anomaly, not just to this world, folks, but we are an anomaly to the rest of history. Think about it for just a moment. History has been riddled with slavery, either to another man, either to a dictator, to a government. It's been riddled by poverty, characterized by it. You say, well, I just don't know if I can leave all this behind. I've got such a look look forward to a great future. Well, would you look forward to that future if you were, say, in an orphanage somewhere? Would you look forward to Jesus coming back? Jerry Vines tells a story of a former pastor of First Baptist Church in Jacksonville going into a children's home and seeing all these smudge marks all over the windows, and they weren't clean, and everything else was clean. So he finally asked, what, what about the windows? And he said, well, we've been teaching the kids about the second coming of Christ, and those are nose prints up against the window because they're longing for Jesus to come and looking for him. What about being, for example, a slave in the 19th century, a hurricane victim in the Bahamas right now? What about being a refugee in a Muslim terrorist country or even living there right now? What about being trapped in a communist country? Would you be looking forward to Jesus coming back? We, we are strange to, to history, the history of the world. A free country with opportunity, with finances, with so much to cling to, so much to want, that we're not looking maybe forward to Jesus coming with his justice and his glory and his presence in our lives. So how should we respond? The Bible says to watch, to be ready. Over in chapter um, 24, verse 44, therefore you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. What about, you know, if you had, if you had a disease, for example, and the, you went to the doctor and the doctor said, look, you take this pill and you're going to be okay. You're going to be cured. Just take this pill. He says, okay, could you have a sample? Anything, I'll pay for it right now. Oh, no, you'll have to go to your pharmacy and pick it up. I'll, I'll write a prescription for you. But, you know, I'm real busy right now. It may be a month or so before I write out that prescription. 
Well, well, doctor, I could die in a month. Well, yeah, you could, but you're probably not. Probably not. In fact, the pharmacy you're going to send it to, man, they're really slow. And so it may be a couple of months. Don't worry about it. Two, three, four months, six months. Just take the pill sometime. Well, I could die in six months. Yeah. Yeah, you could, but you probably won't. I mean, the chances are better that you won't die than you will die in the next six months. No, you're going to want to take the pill right then. I remember reading this business book about 30 years ago. A guy gave it to me. He said, you ought to read this book. It's on sales and things like that. You can, you, can, you can apply it some way. I only remember one thing from that book. And this guy went into this, this uh, rich man's office, a real wealthy businessman, to sell him a life insurance policy. And he told him, he says, you know, you've got this policy and this policy on this and this one, a million-dollar life insurance policy. All those companies are good, just as good as mine. He said, really? He said, yeah, but I can do something for you today that nobody else can do for you. He says, what's that? And he said, I can get you insured today. I've got a doctor's appointment with you for you right now, 30 minutes down the road here in town, just a walking distance. 30 minutes, 30 minutes, you can be approved, and I can get your name on the doctor line, and you can have a million-dollar life insurance today. He said, well, what's the hurry? He said, well, if you're not in a hurry, you don't need a life insurance policy. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, if you need one, you need it today. Though the principle of the whole thing is you need it today. You may die today. And he said, well, yeah, you're right. They went down the road. He got a physical. He signed him up for a million-dollar life insurance policy because he could do something that no one else could do for them today. And let me share something with you. Jesus can do something for you today that nobody else can do for you. He can save you and make sure that when the rapture occurs, you'll go with him. He can make sure that when you die, when you die, you're going to be with him in heaven forever. He says, watch. You be ready, but you also worship. Are you longing to see Jesus? Yeah, you, you, you've got to be ready. You've got to watch. But are you looking forward? Jesus is coming. We don't know when. Do you look forward to seeing him? Suppose that I close with this. We'll just tell the story, a fictitious story. Man comes home from Iraq. Been over there, we'll just say two years. And he comes in, much to the surprise of his wife. She opens the door, boom, there he is. She hadn't seen him in two years. And so, wow, I'm really surprised you're here. I'm just not prepared. You know, since you've been gone, I, I really appreciate the fact that we FaceTime. In fact, I look forward to those times so much. Or the Skyping. I, I, I look forward to all those times. The kids look forward. But you know, the kids don't hardly know you. And I've got a kind of a life of my own here. I've got a job that I like, and the kids got sports and things like that. You know, I just wish you would have let me know you were coming. You know, it probably, why don't you go back to Iraq for a, a few years and, and let me know when you're coming. How do you think that soldier's going to feel? Well, he's going to feel like, wow, I think I love my wife a lot more than she loves me. I think I'm an interruption in her life. Well, how is it that we're so much attached to the things of this world and the things, that gifts that God has given us that we're saying, oh, Jesus, don't come back. Don't come back today. Don't surprise me today. Rather than be like those little boys, little girls at the orphanage, longing 
to see Jesus Christ. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, what about you? Have you received Christ into your heart? You say, well, you know, I'm going to do that one day, and I, I believe that's your intention, but that's not necessarily going to be reality. And if you need Jesus at all, you need him today, because you don't know what's going to happen to your life. In fact, if you're saying today that you don't need Jesus today, absolutely, positively, must have him today because you don't know him, then what you're saying is you don't need him. You just don't need him. And you're just taking a chance with your life. So perhaps you'll be warned. So what about you today? Wouldn't you like to receive Jesus into your heart? Wouldn't you like to have that life-changing prayer, that experience that God wants to have, the Holy Spirit of God coming to live inside of you? If so, would you pray this prayer with me? And you can pray it silently as I pray aloud. Lord God, thank you so much for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for my sins. I open up the door of my heart. I ask you to come in. Please forgive me of all my sins. Help me to have that glorious relationship with you. And help me to long for your coming again. In Jesus' name. And then, God, I pray for every single Christian. I pray, God, that we would look at our lives and see how much more maybe we love something else besides you. Because if you were to come today, Lord, I pray all of us would say, oh, come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Come quickly. I'm looking forward to your glory, to your majesty, to your forgiveness once and for all. And no sin ever present but most of all, just your face, just to be with you. I pray that'll be our prayer in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.